If you're a physician who wants more autonomy in how you practice or fulfillment in your life, you're in the right place. This is the Change Physician Podcast, where our guests reveal how you can learn the mindsets, skills, and strategies to create the life you want without selling out your morals or values. But before we begin, I want to remind you of the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you at thechangephysician.com. Welcome back to The Change Physician. I'm Melissa Katie, The Challenge Doctor, with my co-host from the West Coast, Dr. Kevin Kakaro. And we're here with not Saturday, but Sunday salutations, just to share what's been going on in the podcast and any thoughts or events that we feel like sharing with the audience. If you don't know what The Change Physician is all about, you can go to thechangephysician.com and join whether you're a physician or a physician ally. And we'd love to have you there. Um, Sometimes we send an email or give an update on what's going on, uh, but you can always, usually Saturdays, I'd say, is our typical meeting time, usually 12, let's see, 12 p.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Central um, is generally when we show up live, so you can always join us there. Otherwise, you can watch it replays on Facebook, and we share some updated episodes or little clips um, in our Instagram, so how you doing? I am well. I was just commenting before we started. I, I'm a. I feel a little bit tired. And, yes. Uh, it's yeah, just a little bit tired, and part of it is because I didn't sleep super well. Yes, uh, the last night, which is um, uh, thankfully, is not something that happens all the time anymore. I used to have a lot of problems with insomnia, and I don't really have that. Uh, it, you know, it, it was like it was, you know when you have a problem like something that's a pain. Mm-hmm. You oftentimes don't realize it's not really there until until something happens, you know. And I always thought this was really fascinating because if, if you, um, you know, when particularly when we were, you know, you were doing like clinical pain, it, it becomes all this all-encompassing thing, yeah. And it becomes very difficult to notice the cessation of a thing, right? But that's what you're really the, the goal is is to not notice it so that it becomes less and less prominent over time, right? That, that you're not grabbing all this attention and it has to do with predictive processing all this stuff but anyway so like sleeping it's um i just literally thought about it. like oh my god i've been actually sleeping really really well for a while like a long time now and uh anyway so that is a contributor is i didn't sleep very good last night so instead of being a norm that's a abnormal thing yeah you know it's interesting um i heard it was a certain context i won't go into detail but i heard another physician that was really glad to hear that they were sharing this kind of information with patients but um, kind of related to what you're saying that you've got it's funny these interconnections like mood emotion um, sleep like all of these things are kind of intertwined and and when you're missing sleep <laughs> like you can see how like the mood can change your emotions all these things can be um, influenced by the lack of sleep and it's and obviously sleep's important for a lot of things your immune system just efficient all, all kinds of things that are important uh sleep is kind of like your rejuvenator so to speak but um it was interesting because there was an, anal- an analogy made to help the patient understand how intricate all of these things how they interplay and was saying you know it's like people who are being um you know, like in the military or, or or some kind of, you know, not so great situation. If you really want to get something out of somebody, you, you keep them up. You don't let them sleep and they, they break. And I mean, you probably have a comment about that, but <laughs> it was a good example of how it, 
how sleep, how critical sleep is and how it will impact all these other things. And even in those scenarios too, it's really clear that people don't do well. Well, I think I, I, I wasn't quite, the first thing I thought of when you were, were talking was sort of like, um, and basic, but really when you look at kind of the buds training for the seals and how they keep them up for long periods of time, yeah. or you can also look at, oh, I, this never happens, but fraternity um, hazing rituals for perhaps a week or two. Yeah. Uh, but that I think what you were actually referring to then also was torture. So because yeah. keeping I didn't people use the word, awake, but yes. <laughs> well, that then that's, that is, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a technique used in interrogation with the reasoning being as, as you become less sleep, you, it is much more difficult to think, to process information and you're more easily to, to just basically um, talk about things that you would normally try to inhibit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, sleep is, sleep is a fascinating thing. And um, for the, for the, for decisions out there, uh, you know, fibromyalgia is, is, well, there's a whole bunch of stuff about fibromyalgia that I think is being published out there that I don't necessarily agree with, and I don't think is aligned with the science. But the one thing that is relatively consistent is um, disrupted sleep. Yeah. And so one of the targets is always, you know, if you can restore sleep patterns and work towards that, which is hard. Again, mm -hmm. I've had a lot of disrupted feet for 20 plus years. It becomes very, very difficult to do, but it can work wonders. Mm -hmm. And if you have, are having time, have a hard time empathizing with your patients, remember being on call. So mm -hmm. we were, we were both pre-duty hours, I think. Um, you were pre-duty hours? I was right in the middle of it. Uh, okay. Actually, the first, no, the first year of my internship was where they went to 80 hour work week, which didn't happen. Yeah, I never, yeah. I think my, it was either my, my last two or my last, I don't remember what, or last one, they had the duty hours and it, it yeah. didn't work. I mean, I remember being in the OR with a, with a neurosurgical resident had been on for I don't know, a long, long, long time. He was yeah. at 9 p.m. at night and he'd been there since like three in the morning the day before. Yeah. Um, but if you, you know, that sensation when you're post-call, you ache, you can't think. Um, it chills. You get chills. You get this almost a nausea, sick feeling. That's mm -hmm. how I knew if I'm up for, a, you know, probably about the 30 hour mark, I started getting nauseous. Yeah. And so then it starts, oh, wait a second. Okay, wow, it's really significant disrupted sleep. And that actually- you feel like crap and then just extend yeah. that out for months and months and months or years and years and years. And it gives you a little bit of appreciation of, of kind of that syndrome that people can get of which disrupted sleep is one portion of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's interesting, just the, the interplay of everything in our health and our life and, and just even, you know, with fibromyalgia, like you talk about, you want to optimize sleep, whether they have chronic pain, whether it's fibromyalgia or something else or any other condition, um, but there's, there's this even exercise and relieving tension from the body. Just, there's so many benefits exercise. If we could put in a pill, like we always talk about, you know, exercise and sleep, like it's, it's so incredibly important. And and I find it fascinating that I meet these patients. It was, I'll just give an example. Generally speaking, somebody who had multiple allergies, multiple, um, uh, conditions, you know, autoimmune, um, GERD, IBS, like all of these hyper, like, like when you think of the nervous system, they're all like, like the system is hypervigilant. Like it doesn't say it that way on this paperwork, but when I'm talking to the nurse who did all the intake of this information, I just kind of asked, I was like, so, you know, cause they're thinking this person's crazy. And I'm, I'm like, I don't know how you want to define crazy. 
but I feel like someone who's had hypervigilant nervous system for decades, for whatever reason, I just, I told the, the nurse, I'm like, I try to remain compassionate in these situations because these people are like little canaries in a coal mine. Like they, the way their bodies respond to whatever stressor. And I suspect probably trauma of some sort and PTSD or something because they're physically from whatever psychological trauma they had, they're physically manifesting in a lot of ways. That was my, she's like, well, I'm not, I don't try to like diagnose, but fascinating. I went and talked to the patient, you know, lent an ear because she was super worried about anesthesia and all this stuff. And, and she was going to say, oh, I'm sorry, you need to do your questions. Like, no, let's address what you get it off your chest. Like let her get it off. Cause I know she also going to think about the things she wants to tell me. And um, what came of that after I gave, you know, some compassion and she showed appreciation because I listened, it was revealed this person had significant trauma, nothing on the chart anywhere, but you can like see all these manifestations of problems. And uh, I don't know why I felt like saying that, but I feel like we underestimate, we try to like call someone crazy which, you know, maybe it may appear that way. Well, but we're, this person's we're all struggling. crazy. We were all, we were literally all crazy. <laughs> really? I mean, <laughs> humans are, are just crazy. It's just, it's just the degree of crazy that you are yeah. really is, is kind of the, the key thing. And then there's, um, you know, there's you know, frank hallucinations and things like that, but we all have our tweaks and things and, yeah. and, um, you know, Coping. look at, well, I know, and, and how we cope or, or yeah. don't cope. Well, I yeah. should say how we cope is really, you know, whether you're coping in an effective or ineffective manner. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we are, I mean, I always I think it's interesting because you can either pathologize everything like yeah. we typically do in medicine. We pathologize all the, basically the human condition mm -hmm. and we, so, um, and I'm not saying that there, that things don't need to be treated. Mm -hmm. What I'm, what I do advocate for is the fact that you got to understand that the, the, our brains and bodies developed in such a way to allow us to survive. Yeah. And so for most of the things that we have pathologized, there was a reason for that. Mm -hmm. So like anxiety is a typical one for me. The game changer for me was I was sitting in a lecture. Um, I don't even, I don't think so. I was thinking, I don't remember what it was. It was an online lecture. Actually, this was years and years and years ago through the, the, um, what was his name? Herbert Benson, Stress Institute from Harvard. The guy who's like talks about this. What did, I forgot what he talked about. Anyway, but the, but it was a psychiatrist, and he was talking about how the brain like develops. And one of the the when you start to look at the ability to predict, so you know, predictive processing, the big thing, and they're kind of using it with machine models and other things. But this ability to then take information now to anticipate what a future scenario is, right? That is the basis of civilization. Without that ability for us to project a future that does not exist and anticipate it and prepare for it, we cannot plant crops. We cannot build things. We cannot function in a world where we're trying to anticipate a future. Right. That's also the root of anxiety. Yeah. So anxiety is literally the root of civilization. So now, and that sort of changes the game. Is we, if we started saying, well, anxiety is bad. If you're anxious, that's a bad thing. We need to cover it up every time. And instead we go, well, okay, anxiety is a natural human condition that has a purpose. Now, if it is overloaded and it is, it is paralyzing you, it, you know, now we need to dampen it down. 
but it's not something that we're going to eliminate completely. That sort of changes the game. Put it into perspective. And when you put the trauma history in, and we know when someone has had significant trauma, the earlier you, you are, the kind of both the quantity as well as the quality, the degree of trauma that you are, that you've experienced as a younger age, we are changes in the brain on how it processes information and your brain becomes more um, what I call stress sensitive or threat sensitive, where it sees threats where normal people would not. And the easiest way to kind of explain that is, you know, if you grew up in um, in a really bad neighborhood where there was gang violence all the time, if you hear it a loud pop, your default reaction is that's a shooting. Now, if yeah. you grew up where I grew up in Corvallis, where it's like relatively one of the safest places you hear that and you go Whoa, what was that did someone pop a tire or, or whatever right it just it doesn't your physiology is going to be very very different based on what your brain has learned over time yeah and i think that's that, that's the key thing that I always we we forget about this stuff there is a reason why our brains and bodies have developed and when we look at pain and we see people with persistent pain one of the kind of Central factors of that, and a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of them is trauma. Yeah. And, uh, and instead, we saw them crazy. It's like, dude, not crazy. Their brains and bodies have developed from the environment that they were subjected to for over years, yeah. not to hurt them, not to be horrible, but to keep them safe and really to keep them safe in the moment at the kind of the cost of long term. Yeah. You know, and it's, um, I don't know, it, it it's, it, it is. I mean, done a lot of talks on this stuff. It is very hard, I think, for some people to to kind of step back and say, "Well, I mean, let's, well, I guess it's it's easier to say someone's crazy, mm -hmm. or they don't want to get better, or yeah. they're not trying, or um, what what is the other ones that are just really uh, not they're not or well, sometimes like an extension, they're non-compliant. Like, oh, I but, hate that word. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. non-compliant. I'm like did you talk and ask why or like try to understand like there's maybe a good reason you know you don't even like take the time I, it's easier to project outward than to try to understand and be compassionate um and um, it's what, harder to i was gonna say it's harder to do that when you yourself are exhausted and oh, overwhelmed yeah. and, oh, yeah. and in an environment where you don't have the time to do this or lack of care yeah <laughs> yeah. So, yeah so it, yeah. you made me think of as physicians listening is um, it is really hard for someone who's embedded in the medical system. And, and I speak for myself too, to recognize that you are so desensitized to so much stuff for better or for worse. You know, we do partially for survival and just repetition and, and we're just acclimated, but it, it's, it doesn't always serve us to, to be that way because you don't realize that people not in the system like anyone who's not in the medical system will have normal like emotional reactions to stuff or have normal fears and, and anticipatory anxiety about what they're about to undergo whether it's a procedure anesthesia um, just being in the office who knows what they're going to do to me like who knows like or not knowing if this you know mass is a, a cancer like there's so much that goes on psychologically within the patients that is normal but we have desensitized ourselves to a lot of stuff. And, and so we seem like we're not compassionate. And the reason I'm saying all this is because we're talking about anxiety and stress and traumas. We induce that on patients too, whether we realize it or not, by how we have a lack of you know connection, whether you want to blame it on the insurance companies and not having time to spend with your patient and giving them the, you know, 
the words and the connection and the and the space um, to to have you know healthy conversations about what's going on with their their overall health. Um, but I, I feel like we have to be more if we can see through the eyes of the patient and and recognize the the patient is trying to be safe. And not a lot of what we do is safe. And we actually harm patients and they've heard stories. And I've had patients when they feel like it's safe to share it with me, which I know that this doesn't always happen for these same patients with other people. And they share what's happened or they lost a, a, a someone they know to some negligent behavior and all this stuff. Like, I think we have to be really cognizant of that and aware and, and respectful of that and, and know that there's a lot of anxiety, even though you might know it deep down there, but you don't really acknowledge it for the patient. But anyway, any thoughts? Oh, I always have lots and lots of thoughts, but I know it, I would say it like it, that. It, but... It, but part of it is just, it's just really hard to be a physician. To be a really good physician is really, really hard. It is so much easier to be a bad one. <laughs> I mean, really, it is it's an interesting I mean, comment, right? It is. I mean, okay. So, um, if you care, the harder it is. And particularly when we we we've talked about like the incentivization of the system. We you you know that's the Charlie Munger quote that really you get the behaviors that you incentivize, right? It doesn't matter anything else what you yeah. want to do, but whatever you incentivize, you get. And and there's when you look at the incentives in healthcare and how it's designed, it's optimized to do those incentives. Yeah. And that incentive is not good medicine. Like it, yeah. there is no incentive in there. And so, um, you know, if you don't care and you just look at your patients as widgets and you are looking at how you can optimize and maximize your RVUs because that's how your pay structure is. And, um, and people do that and they make a ton of money. That's not good medicine, but it's, it, it makes the system well. But if you're a, if you were trying to provide humanistic care, and really see the person as a person and then realize all the contributors that go into their their experience, how their, their, their constructed experience of which all these symptoms, as well as these objective findings come together into create, um, that's really hard. Yeah. That is, I mean, look at pain. So to have this kind of conversation and talk about, uh, you know, neurodevelopment and threat and how trauma histories actually amplify to try to keep your body safe in the now and how that then predisposes you to increase stress and how that increased stress then is reflected in your physiology. And so you get this variety of symptoms, including uh, insomnia, maybe abdominal pain, nausea, fatigue, difficulty thinking, fuzzy thinking, uh, different parts of your body may ache. And to make that constellation of symptoms make sense, that's hard. And particularly when they're being told six other times, oh, you're crazy. Oh, you're making this up. Oh, I, that other doctor said this, but I looked and I saw some, some wrinkles in your spine at your L4-5 over there. And that's where all your pain that you have all over your body somehow is coming from your, your, your zygopophyseal joint at L4-5 on the, on the left. Come, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, you yeah. know, and, um. I don't know. It, 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 it's a, <laughs> we're just kind of voicing the frustrations here is, but yeah. if you guys are out there and you're trying to be, provide good care, I'm, I'm definitely saying don't do that, but recognize that it is difficult. And there's a lot of things that are up against you to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And the first thing you need to do is take care of yourself and to structure your life in such a way that allows you to stay safe and sane, and then do the best that you can. Yeah. And sometimes that necessitates a change. Sometimes that ch you're going to change environments, change practices, develop a new practice. Um, your income may change. 
but but you got to do what do what is right rather than what is easy that's my one of my other favorite harry potter quotes you know when he's like yeah. dark and difficult times lie ahead harry and then times will come where you have to make the choice between what is right and what is easy and so often we default to the easy over and over and over again and then we under we wonder why you know healthcare the way it is or the world is the way it is is because we always try to do you know the easy is easy but the right is often really hard yeah i have to make a comment about easy versus hard or you know what we're talking about earlier about if someone's someone's in pain post-op okay it's it, that's pretty reasonable to think it may seem a little bit more than what you typically see some patients but you don't know if this underlying nervous system has trauma and their experience of sensory input from whatever you just cut on that you didn't block and and their underlying anxiety is magnifying their pain experience which if you don't know what that means uh, maybe you should go look at the pain course online that kevin did <laughs> and learn from that but if there are any surgeons or any other physicians, and of course the people that need to hear this may not are probably not going to hear this, but you know, don't just call someone crazy and that they're they're you know um, drug seeking post op in a recovery room, you know when and you're ignoring them and you're saying basically not compassionate things at all. Sometimes it may not be the IV medicine that they need as much as you just tending to them, at least acknowledging their pain, whatever you believe about it. But I mean, the fact that this stuff goes on, we talk about it's easy to be a bad physician. This stuff happens. And, and you may not, the patient may not hear it, but it happens. And, and nurses and physicians are both um, guilty of this. And, um, you know, it's, the recovery room is not the time to necessarily teach a patient about modern pain science, but you can understand the pain science and approach it in a way that makes the most sense. At least that's my take on it. Uh, I, the, 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 when you have somebody who's in an acute distress, yes, the goal is to help them feel safe. Yes. That's, that's literally the key. Yeah. So if you, and, and I, the, I hate drug seeking. I, I, I hate that term. Like, that's what I have so many triggers, but that's a big trigger to me oh, yeah. because they're nobody's out there like, oh, yeah, I just want to do heroin all the time. Oh, I just want your Oxycontin. It, despite the mythos, they're cut, they're using that to do something. And so um, the terminology is, is they are instead of drug seeking, they're distressed seekers. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're seeking to alleviate that distress. Yeah. So in a post-operative, what you're trying to do is help them feel safe help them to have the expectations of what a normal recovery would be, how to answer those concerns, minimize the fears. There's a, you know, if you're a surgeon and you have somebody who's post-operative, minimize the fear, dude. That's like the most important factor or one of the most factors that you can do. How can you make them feel, feel safe and how can you eliminate the fears that they may be having? Um, yeah. There's a goal for prehab where, you know, give them realistic expectations of the course, because the more you understand how things are going to be, the less that there is associated with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, but it's so much easier to label people. Oh, they're yeah. drug seeking. Oh, they're drug seeking. Oh, they're crazy. Oh, they're this. And I, I mean, I do understand that because when, when you're sleep deprived and you're stressed out and you're having a hard time and your clinic's behind, guess what your default is going to be? Yeah. The easy. Yeah. And it, so we, it happens to all of us, but the more you recognize that, that, that you're defaulting to it, at least you have aware there's a chance that you can interrupt that. And um, hopefully change the care that you're delivering. And if not, step back and 
take care of yourself so that you can go back in to the foray. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, we almost did an episode right there. I think these are all important uh, conversations and topics. Um, let me just pull up what this past week on our podcast. Let's see. We're now, oh, officially happy October. Um, crazy, isn't it? It's like yeah. Nuts. <laughs> You're crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am crazy. <laughs> uh, it's, I think episode 256 this past Thursday. Are you or do you have fun? That was an interesting conversation. Um, we're bantering back and forth about um in personal lives on the podcast like if we're fun or do we have fun how you can have fun all that stuff so if you missed that one go back and check that one out any comments nope about that okay <laughs> um anything you'd like to share before we uh take an exit no other than no. you know happy october <laughs> happy october and uh we are now what three quarters of the year done which just blows my mind and this oh, month God. will be over and then it's going to be thanksgiving and then it's going to be christmas and then we're going to start a new year i know so, and then i'm uh, going to turn happy 50 2024 also. i guess that's what i should be saying right because be here before Soon. we know it i know yeah. crazy uh, all right well take us out then there kevin well, thank you for joining us for Sunday salut salutations with the Change Physician podcast. Uh, as always, you can drop us a line at drkevin at thechangephysician.com. I was going to say you can join us next week. I can't. I, this is a weird month. There's some scheduling things that are going to be happening this yeah. month. So probably, but I'm not sure. Yeah, so, I think this Saturday maybe we'll be up, up and live. Up and live? Oh, you okay. know what? I'm not going to be here this Saturday. We ha might have to do Sunday salutations next week because oh. I am presenting at the Oregon Pain Summit this weekend. Oh yeah, that's right. So yeah, I just Sunday. yeah. So it's gonna so join us next Sunday for Sunday <laughs> salutations. Yes. <laughs> and until next time, stay well. Take Thank care. Thank you for joining us today on the Change Physician Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know by going to thechangephysician.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you simply by joining the community at thechangephysician.com.